You are listening to Safe is Just a Podcast. This is Spencer Inc., and I'm sitting here with JD, and we are discussing all things Safe is Just a Shadow. Stay tuned for more questions, answers, and stories about this fan favorite album in our career. Before we jump in, check out this track called Evidence on Fire. It's the last track on the CD, and it has recently become one of my new favorites. I'm going to start off by giving you guys a little backstory on this song. I joined this band called Remember Tomorrow, which we mentioned earlier was the band that Spencer approached uh, through our relationship earlier on to become the new Ice Nine Kills. But when I joined this band Remember Tomorrow, this was actually the first song that I wrote for that band. And it was really awesome bringing that material to the guys that I was playing with at the time. And Dave being the singer, he always had really awesome ideas that I never would have thought of to put like major melodies with major harmonies on top of minor guitar parts. And it was very unpredictable, but it was really awesome the way that he did it. enough about my favorites so spencer hit us with a question cat vampire asks why did you name the album safe is just a shadow it's a very good question Uh, not only is safe is just a shadow that lyric the first clean vocal sang on the record on the first song proximity minds in the complex but that lyric really represents the overarching theme in the album which is to always be cautious in any situation you're in whether it's Uh, a business situation or a a personal situation because things can change instantaneously um, you know much like shadows can change and I think it's a clever metaphor for the fact that you should always try to have eyes in the back of your head because you know you don't know who's gonna try to take advantage of you and uh, potentially be detrimental to you know your existence So fun little fact about the song that you're hearing in the background right now, uh, Evidence on Fire, the last track on the CD. Before it was brought to Ice Nine Kills, it actually stopped right there. And this part from from here on was added when we were sitting with Tom Denny in Florida working on the record the first time around. So that was just one example of a a big change that we made to to many of our songs here. we basically took this chorus from the first two times in the song, which at the time were the only two times, and we took the melody and, and expanded on it with with different instruments, with guitar leads, and you know the kick drums just just pounding over and over and over again with some fills in the middle, 
everything was really driving on on the roots and um we added melody and a chord progression underneath it to complement the vocals and the lead guitars and everything with it so it kind of added a whole new dimension to the end of the song and i remember sitting in the studio and uh i don't remember who it was in the band that said it but they said that makes the song for me so that song's definitely come quite a long way since its original version our next question comes from the rob dom he asks or she asks how does this re-release tie into the state of the band today as opposed to where the band was at the time of the original well i think you know as jd had said in in some previous questions and i had touched on we were in a, a very difficult position you know we, we were trying to bridge the gap between two bands with two fairly different sounds uh, and try to make something that pleased the older Ice Nine Kills fans as well as potential new listeners. And we were also being bogged down by um, you know, some relationships in the industry that were really um, a big anchor around our neck and preventing us from, from moving forward. So the album really reflects that sort of miserable time. And today, you know, we're by no means, you know, completely satisfied with where we are, but I think that we definitely are a very happier band than we were in that time frame. We've accomplished so many of the things we've wanted to accomplish since then. You know, our goal was from the inception of the band was to, you know, have a great manager. We, we have a great manager now, Mike Mowry in Outer Loop. Um, who've been, you know, instrumental in helping us achieve the goals we we've long since desired. Um, you know, we've played so many great tours with with great big bands that have been kind enough to take us on tour, like uh, Motionless and White and Attila, um, to name a few. Uh, we've participated in tours like the Warp Tour, something that we've always wanted to do, even have gotten a chance to play on uh, the main stage on several dates. So I think um, as a whole, we, we're um, very happy with where the band is, and I think that our we're a lot happier with our place in the industry and the fact that there are so many of you guys out there that support us and come see us on a, a nightly basis. and every part of you know the world now you know it's funny that we can say that but yes the world we've not only toured and played on unbelievable shows in our own country but now you know i've been to europe and uh, I, I think that to go back to your question our state of mind um is a lot happier than it was during the original release of the album miss bojangles asked was it awkward to do the vocals since you have different band members now uh, you know, it wasn't really awkward. You know, we had some different challenges going into it this time because, you know, it was, it was a different voice and a different emotion. So we had kind of had to, to link into that, that feeling and, and, and also the, the range. I mean, Dave's range was a little bit higher than everyone else's. And he took that role in the band where, whereas I had a different range of screaming than Spencer did and... Spencer's singing range and, and emotion was a totally different sound than, than Dave's. And we all had our own strengths in different places. But, you know, for me, it was actually just really fun because I, I got to go back and just re-record my screams and hopefully make them sound better than they were the first time. You know, I've been screaming a lot, a lot more, especially with all the touring and the, the different records we've done. 
it was actually really fun to go back in and just just wail on these screams and yeah i had a lot of fun doing it that was really cool next question up from our buddy rn mac fail or it could be rn mac p hail anyway so he he asked the original album's artwork was incredibly bland thank you why didn't you put more effort into the original artwork like you did with the re-release there's a few things about that release that um that kind of kept us from being able to, to do every single thing that we wanted with it and you know to to kind of expand on the artwork you know we we were only given um a few options and at the time we were getting ready for warp tour and we needed something like immediately because we wanted to sell this thing on warp tour and and get it out to the masses that were there you know that was like the biggest market of of music listeners that we were gonna see in our early parts of our career so we kind of came up with this this temporary art solution um and actually another question was asked dan daniel was on youtube rewind 2016 he said why does this album cover of the 2010 version say warp tour limited edition well that's the reason why because we we needed to get this record out and we needed some artwork so it was just a temporary solution at the time to to get us by to add to that there's a little funny piece of trivia for the original artwork Newton's third law of knives to the back. There was a misprint on the original pressing, and it says net ones, <laughs> spelled wrong. Uh, an error that none of us caught when we approved uh, the artwork. So that's always sort of haunted us, and has come up uh, as an inside joke anytime we're thinking of playing that song and putting it on a set list. Oh, let's play net ones. So that's pretty funny. But yeah, this will the the artwork that will come with the new release is the artwork that. We originally wanted to have accompany the album. It was done by this very talented guy named Toby, and uh, he worked for a company called We Are Synapse, which I believe has changed since then. But you know, I, I came up with this concept to have a guy basically fearlessly standing in a terrible storm in the ocean and uh, a lightning storm, and having him hold up, you know, an antenna or, or something that would obviously cause to electrocute him so i thought that was kind of a provocative image and in a way you know goes with the concept of the album as i said you know sort of fighting back against adversity and and being fearless in that fight and i'm just glad that the the artwork that we originally intended to have is eventually and now seeing the light of day some kind of shanners wants to know what our favorite song is and why um for me on this record i will always say and stick to red sky warning being my favorite and it was really unique for us because it was it was kind of a concept that wasn't about you know a personal relationship or something that just happened yesterday or our career uh going a certain way it was uh, a little more of a metaphorical venture for us and i'd like to play you some of the song now
So taking another listen to these songs and, and kind of putting ourselves in the same mindset that we were in when we originally went into making them, um, it, it just brings up kind of some really cool memories of, of, you know, having six people in a band and, and we all sang, like, you know, we would show up to venues and they'd say, okay, what do you need on stage? And we'd be like, okay, we have a drum set, five piece, we have two guitars, a bass player. And they'd be like, okay, how many vocals do you need? And we'd be like, we need five. We need five vocals across the front of the stage. And for, uh, you know, a, a typical metal band coming in, that was like unheard of. Usually there's like one guy that does vocals. Sometimes there's two, maybe three. Or the craziest thing that they would see is like like a drummer would have. But we'd be like, yeah, we'll just take five microphones across the front of the stage. And sometimes the guys would be like, uh, we don't have five extra microphones. And, you know, I, I'd be like, oh, that, that's all right. I got a couple that we bring with us so we're all good but anyway uh going into these songs it's it's really cool to remember that having so many vocalists in the band we try to utilize that in the studio as well we try to like layer things in and and cross vocals and and have different people doing different things at the same time you know we we kind of took a lot of inspiration from from bands that used to do that back in the day like uh, brand new and taking back Sunday you know that was a really unique thing that you don't you don't see anymore and um, you know for us that was the last time we really did that but you can hear it in this last chorus you know the the screen part from the beginning of the song comes back in over or rather under the main vocal and then the high part from the middle of the song is soaring on top of all of those so we have three vocal parts going on there's harmonies happening and layers of screams and stuff so it's really cool to 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 do stuff like that because um from our our perspective it was really only done by the bands we looked up to so speaking of vocals and lyrics i think we have another question relating to that Haley gabriel was it weird to go back and read the old lyrics I think weird isn't the word that I would use, but it was interesting to listen to the songs again and, and, and go back through the lyrics and, and hear what sort of emotions we were going through at the time and what problems we had been dealing with. For me personally, I hadn't listened to the album in a few years, so I, I didn't remember every single little part, and we haven't played a lot of these songs in many years. So that was a cool thing to go back and sort of um, catapult myself back in time to the place we were at as individuals and musicians while we were writing this original record. Um, for me also, it, it really showed um, how far we've come. You know, not that the lyrics on, on Safe is Just a Shadow are bad by any means, but I think that um, over the years, um, I've become a better lyricist um, than I was then. And um, on our new stuff, we uh, Steve Ch Sopchak, our, our longtime friend and producer, him and I handle a uh, majority of the lyrics, and I think we've really made it a point, um, especially with the new record, Safe is Just a Shadow, to really step up our game um, and use interesting metaphors and a lot of alliterations and clever wordplay and puns to make our band stand out uh, in the genre. And over the years, just seeing so many of you guys out there having our lyrics tattooed on your body, you know, permanently, and it just, it, it made me sort of come up with the mentality when writing lyrics that every single thing we put down on paper has to be quote unquote 
tattooable. So if you listen through every trick in the book, at least to me, it seems like every line hits. You know, we wanted every line to burn on that new record. And it's just nice to, to, to look back and see how far we've come from 2010 to now. I think for myself personally, looking back uh, at the bands that I used to listen to, you know, in the early 2000s, even the late 90s, to now, there are only a handful of bands that I still go back to and listen and listen to to this day. And I've noticed a trend that those were the bands that had interesting lyrics and lyrics that I'm not embarrassed to sing along to. Um, whereas, you know, there were some bands I may have been jamming hard to when I was 13 or 14 that I just, I can't sit in my car and, and scream along the words to just because, you know, the lyrical content seems so juvenile. So I think, you know, as I said in the last record, I think we, we've really tried to strive to, to make ourselves one of those bands because I think good lyrics tend to be one of the, the central factors that makes a band indisposable. And I think I've learned that in order to have some longevity in this game, you really have to, to grow with your following. And um, I think we're on track to do that. You guys are currently listening to track five on Safe is Just a Shadow Reshadowed called So This Is My Future. So we had a few different people ask us why we recorded Save is Just a Shadow as opposed to previous records like Last Chance to Make Amends or The Burning. And um, this was actually before my time. So Spencer, what do you think? I just remember growing up and getting into bands like, for instance, Blink-182, and then going back to their earlier work like, you know, Buddha or Cheshire Cat. And I always thought there was something really cool to hear where a band started and what they sounded like before they progressed into something more mature and more polished. So I think it's some, there's something cool about leaving the really early material the way it was. I think that, especially for a record like The Burning, which I think introduced a lot of people to the band in the MySpace era, you know, like from 2000 
2004 to 2006. I think there, you know, there were little imperfections in a recording like the burning that we did in my basement in Swampscott, Massachusetts, that made that album special. And I really don't want to try to recreate that. Also, um, that era, from that era, I'm the only one that was in the band, so I think it would seem a little bit inauthentic to try and uh, replicate that with a completely different lineup. It would definitely sound sound different for sure, just because some of the previous members, like uh, having Jeremy in the band and, and then having me in the band, we, we come from very different writing styles and performing styles. I think that it would just sound like a completely different version of the record. And like you said, it would... It wouldn't have that authentic value that that record had that captured people's attention back in 2007. So I would agree. This next question comes from, oh, wow, it's Seth. Funny little story, Seth. Uh, My parents, when they were naming me, uh, the other choice besides Spencer was Seth. So we were this close to being brothers. Anyway, your question, why don't you play most of these songs live aside from the upcoming shows? Well, the answer really is because when we play shows, whether it's a headlining tour or whether it's a support tour, we only have a finite amount of time to to play. So like any band, you want to concentrate on promoting your newest product, not only because it's new, but usually because it's the stuff that you're most proud of at the time. And because we've released quite a few records in our career so far, There's only so much time to play so many songs, so unfortunately, the albums that are the oldest usually get the shaft for the most part. But we we try to to mix it up, you know. I I think that on the different tours that we do, we we consciously sit there when we're making a set list and say, okay, what songs haven't we played in a while? What are kids asking for online? What are kids asking for at the shows? And we try to satisfy as many people as we can, but unfortunately, you know, you can't make everyone happy. But, you know, these next few shows are are a nice opportunity to be able to re-examine and and replay these old songs that we haven't touched on in a long time. And I'm excited to maybe start sprinkling songs from Safe is Just a Shadow throughout some of our newer sets if uh, it seems you guys want that. Carly IX. We should call her Carly Nine, shouldn't we? She asked, which song has the greatest personal effect on each of you individually? Well, like I said in a previous episode, there being six members in our band, we all went through different things. But I know for for all of us, um, I think I could speak for all of us when I say Chris Brown, Chris Brown's latest hit was was a really meaningful song to us because it was it was really about the central feeling that we all had of, of just anger and frustration and and you know even sadness that that we were going through this this really really painful part of our career where we couldn't we couldn't get we couldn't move forward um because of this this like entity of sorts that was just holding us back and and kind of just ruining our lives for for years but you know we we kind of we kind of had to fight through it and you know we did it on our own and then we met our we met our, our good old manager mike mowry who we have to thank for really everything um and it's it's really cool to look back on that and to still be able to identify with some of those those feelings but know that you know it was it was it was okay to get our 
to get our feelings out through this song. guys are listening to more from our upcoming re-release of Safe is Just a Shadow. This is Chris Brown's latest hit. Welcome back to Safe is Just a Podcast. We have a new question from Critter Was Here One. What specifically are you changing on this on this re-release? Well, the main things that are changing, um, other than the actual song material and the lyrics, is every instrument, every vocal, every scream, everything has been completely re-recorded from scratch. And the reason why we did that was because we don't want to give you just the same thing you know, with some new mixing techniques on it. We wanted to re-record the entire thing and give it a real fresh, fresh look on, on 2017. So what we did is we retracked the drums with a totally different drum kit, different cymbals, different mics. You know, we updated all the, all the bass parts and all the guitar parts and the, and the layers that go into the songs. The samples have all been redone, all the electronics, and there's new string parts throughout the record. Everything is brand new, and it sounds better than it did back then. It's got um, new technology behind it, basically, with, with recording studio equipment and everything. So everything has been done from scratch, uh, brand new, and we're really excited to have you check it out. These next three questions all apply to our song, The Greatest Story Ever Told, which was originally on the album The Burning, which came out in 2007. This first question comes from William S. Brett 20. This is your third time making the greatest story ever told. Which version of the song is your favorite and which version of the song is your least favorite? Well, for me, there was something very special about the version that was on The Burning, which we recorded in my basement in Swampscott, Massachusetts in 2007. And what's interesting about that recording is that it is really the demo of that song. We never made another demo when we did it for that first album. And it just has this sort of raw emotion and energy on it that's, that's in a way, is hard to recapture. I think that the other two versions are really cool, and they definitely sound better sonically. But for me, you know, the original version will always be my favorite. I come from a completely different outlook, because I actually wasn't in the band when this, when this first version was made, but... 
I had a lot of fun actually taking, you know, at the time it was looked at from my perspective as, you know, Spencer's song from the original Ice Nine Kills. Uh, it was really fun for me to take his version of the song and kind of insert myself into it and, you know, kind of bring a, a different perspective to the song. So, you know, I, I remember going back through the song and and listening to the guitar parts and all the different layers and kind of picking and choosing what I liked and what I what I thought could be different or maybe I thought I couldn't even hear. You know, I remember Spencer sending me stems on the song and hearing cool like leads and stuff that was like, wow, I didn't even know that was in the song. So certain stuff I got to pick and actually bring up so people could hear it a little, a little more uh, in a polished way. So I, I had a lot of fun taking this song and bringing it to my my world of uh, polished metal, I guess you could say. You know, the, the song had a completely different vibe back then, and it changed. So, I think they're, it's almost like they're two different songs because they have different different people kind of putting the song together. So, I think also, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but I did play guitar in the band back in the day when when this album was released, and. I think that you know part of the reason that I, I really like this version is I get to listen to it and, and say, hey, I was playing guitar on it too. So I, I do miss that. Um, I think something that was funny, um, which was which is, was a disagreement between JD and I when we were first re-recording the album, is the very intro uh, guitar part that I had written. And I, I had ended it by not finishing the scale. And uh, he, he was very adamant about that the scale should be finished, um, and of course I'm referring to the da 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 part. And uh, it was a source of great contention, but it has since become a a funny inside joke that JD and I tease each other about um, <laughs> all the time. The uh, the, the intro, um, I still to this day will say that Spencer plays it better than I do because he he actually plays it a different way, but. I remember every time he picks up he picked up a guitar he he uh, he still plays that lead and he plays it cleaner than I do it must be those spidery fingers he's got but I remember sitting down with Tom Denny and you know he Spencer and I were legitimately arguing about this and it's so trivial now but it was uh, it was like a like a half day argument where Tom was just sitting between us kind of like laughing at, at the the argument that we were having um, I don't know how. I won with this one. I think we traded riffs on a different part of the record. Spencer and I used to have these dealings where in order to make each other happy on, on the, like I said, trivial things of uh, arguments that we had about the record, we would trade uh, and compromise on different parts of the, of the record. We would, we would trade riffs of, of sorts. And uh, sometimes we would, we would even be out somewhere and we would, we would be arguing about something else and we would make bets and uh, the winner would 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 get to to have maybe the riff on the record or the thing that they wanted that we argued about earlier in the day. So that became another inside joke too. Is uh, you know, hey, you wanna you want a better riff on the record? So <laughs> that was a lot of fun. For those of you that actually want to know what the specific argument was, um, it's actually the the intro of of greatest story, the the arpeggiated guitar part. And it is number note number twenty three and twenty four of the scale that goes around. So it's na 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 na. Spencer wanted to do note twenty three and twenty four to be the same note, and I wanted note twenty three, rather note twenty four, to be a half step lower than note twenty three. So it just continued to scale, 
and uh, <laughs> we argued about it forever. But for those of you who want to who want to know what it actually was, take the notes and count them, and you'll figure it out. And listen to both versions, and you'll hear the difference. It's uh, it's quite noticeable only if you're really paying attention. There was another time when uh, when Spencer offered Steve and I each our own twenty dollars to to give him a specific vocal on, I believe, People Under the Stairs, uh, or it might have been Proximity, a, a specific amount of distortion. He wanted a, a certain amount of distortion, and I don't know, Steve and I were arguing with him about, oh, that's too much distortion or not enough, and it, it came down to $20 each, and he literally got what he wanted. Well, what was funny about it is that, you know, before money came into play, I was talking to Steve and JD at length about why I wanted this certain distortion on a vocal. And I think we had like an hour discussion about it, you know, why it shouldn't be there, why it would be too much distortion. And as soon as I said, all right, well, I'll pay you each $20 instantly. All right. So I think the, uh, the rule of thumb here is if you want a certain thing on the record, the way you want it, just, just offer JD and Steve 20 bucks each and you got it. The second question comes from the BJJ Kid. I'm not sure if that's a, a blowjob reference, but I like it. He asks, does the greatest story ever told have a backstory or personal meaning behind it? Now, this is a question that, that I've been asked a lot over the course of the years. And basically what happened is I had read a story in this newspaper. I believe it was in, in a Texas um, publication about this story about a, a guy who, who killed um, his ex-girlfriend. And it, it was a really brutal story, like a, a, a terrible homicide. And at the time, you know, I was looking for material for a song and I thought, oh, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we sort of filled in the gaps? And at the time, Jeremy and I um, were the, the main writers in the band and that's exactly what we did and sort of came up with this story. Um, and you're not sure if this guy's got a split personality disorder or he really is innocent and this girl's new boyfriend killed her. But it, it was an interesting way to write a song to sort of take something that was real and kind of give our own spin to it. And in many ways, I think it sort of set the stage for every trick in the book in the sense that we were taking a story that was already there that, you know, had nothing to do with us, much like the books that we were inspired by in the new albums and giving our own twist to it. Um, another question, the third from Isenhorfner, uh, is greatest story ever told ever going to get a music video? Well, we had recorded a music video years ago, but it was just so brutal that the uh, MPAA, you know, ref refused to grant us an R rating, and we were slapped with the dreaded NC-17. And, and you know, for those uh, film buffs out there, you know that that can be the kiss of death um, when it comes to box office returns. Um, of course, I'm just fucking with you. That has nothing to do with a music video. That's for movies. But um, the chances of getting a greatest story ever told music video, probably not going to happen um, because music videos uh, that we put out are, are usually going to be for newer songs. But, you know, there's always, there's always a, a possibility uh, that that may happen one day down the road. On the other hand, uh, if you're out there and you're a very talented filmmaker or, or you're in film school and are looking for a, a passion project to get involved with, um, or if you're Mel Gibson and you're listening, I know he's a fan of the band, reach out to us. Maybe we could uh, cut a deal. So Architect of Life 13 
has a question about the recording of the album. He said, what was the most challenging thing during the recording process of the album? Uh, I remember specifically working with Steve Sobchak at the Square Studio when we actually recorded this album for its official 2010 release. The drums, we um, this was kind of early on in our our process of, of tracking metal drums. And the, the one thing that we didn't do that we we kicked ourselves for was we didn't put spot mics up on you know like the china symbol and the splash symbol and um what any other like little effect things we had more of a traditional setup which was you know a kick drum mic we probably had two at the time i don't remember offhand um and then we had a snare top and a snare bottom we had a tom one and tom two and i believe tom three i think we used three toms on this this record uh we had a hi-hat mic we had two overheads um, one over towards the left side of the kit and one on the right side of the kit. So I remember during the earlier stages of the mixing process, I was like, Steve, where's our China? We got we to pull that up. And he's like, I don't have a mic for that. We don't have a way to pull it up. So, you know, throughout like a week or two of the mixing process, we were kind of just sitting on this this uh, this little issue that, that we were, that we might just have to roll with it and that you know we wouldn't be able to have like the china as loud as we wanted and and mind you this is the time when when you know we and all of our friends were were loving uh august burns red's messengers album and you know as soon as you put that record on the first thing you hear are all the the smashes of every symbol on the kit you know the china is the the loudest thing in the entire world and we're thinking oh cool we're gonna have a metal record and we're gonna have we're gonna make sure we crank those things up so they're really really loud and really in your face and it turned out that we skipped a step but our good friend steve sobchek uh, he actually worked some some pretty incredible magic and he ended up doing some side chaining tricks with uh, the china symbol and and mind you this wasn't something that we replaced with new samples uh, he actually pulled some tricks off where he side chained the china symbol with a compressor um and somehow he actually was able to pull up just the stuff that came through when the china was being hit and it boosted it enough to hear it so we have uh, some props to give our, our boy Sobchak over at the square studio for for working his magic on that one we had an additional question from architect of life 13 he asked um is there any song that you would rewrite on the album and for for me and i think most of the guys in the band i would say no you know we were really excited to do this the first time around and the second time around we were really excited to put it together and i think that these songs as important as they were at the time you know they they remain to be kind of extensions of our soul and the way that, that we felt and the, the the stepping blocks that got us to where we are today so would we rewrite the the songs or any of the songs in the album change the structure and change the the guitar parts and change the actual feel and emotions of the song no we wouldn't i think that uh it's really important for us to keep it the same out of respect for ourselves and even the respect for the listeners in 2010 and 2017 thank you guys so much for listening to safe is just a podcast safe is just a shadow reshadowed and re-recorded is out now you could pick it up on itunes or at ink-merch.com or grab it at one of our shows we'll see you real soon on the road 